We're going to continue on in our sermon series. We're working through chapter one of Romans. A couple more weeks, looks like, but the Lord is bringing us through. Do you want to start with the Old Testament reading from Ecclesiastes chapter two, verses one through 11? And the writer speaks here just of the vanity of self-indulgence. I think we find ourselves in a time of self-indulgence in just about every single way. It's just vain. It's not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to get you ultimately what you need or who you need in Jesus Christ. This will fade away. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? So uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad of pleasure. What's the use of it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and I planted them in all kinds planted all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I brought male and female slaves, and I had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and province. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines to the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, it was all vanity and striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Keep that in mind as we turn to Romans chapter 1, and I'm going to read 24 through the end of this chapter. However, we're only going to concentrate on verses 24 through 27. Paul says this, beginning in verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up the natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Though they know the righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they do not only do them, 
but give approval to those who practice them. Thus ends the reading of God's word for now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you again so much for your blessings, for your glory, for your word. And I pray, Lord, that we would be engaged in our hearts and our minds as we come before your word, that you would be honored and glorified. I pray that you would give us humble boldness to speak the truth, especially in these dark times that we're living in. And your word is the truth. We simply bring that forth, Lord, and stand on it. So I pray that you would be with all of us to receive your word. I pray that you'd be with me to bring your word faithfully and powerfully by your spirit. Apart from your spirit, we can do nothing and nothing will be accomplished. We realize that full well, so we look to you. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, as we look at this portion of scripture, this is this is what unbridled and unrestrained rebellion and rejection looks like amongst pagans. Now remember, Paul's writing, in this part especially, to the to the Romans. They were pagans for the most part. This is the kind of culture they were raised in. There was just a looseness all around them. That was par for the course for them. Paul's saying, here's the reality. You need to turn to God. What you've been doing is living in sin and apart from your God. And I need to tell you right now that I do believe that we're experiencing this very thing right now in our context, as God lifts his hand of restraint, as he gives them over. Right? He's not just doing then, it's happening right now. As we turn our back on him, he's lifting that hand of restraint and saying, okay, if this is what you want, then this is what you are going to receive. Verses 24 says, look at this, he gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Then verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And then in verse 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, he gave them up to a debased mind. There's a point where God says, okay, this is what you want. This is what you're going to receive. Sometimes we have that with our with a uh, a rebellious child, a rebellious teenager. We do everything we can to protect, to to procure, to secure them, to warn them, to try to discipline them, not to go, not to go. But then sometimes it just reaches a point where you say, okay, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to pray for you and I'll be here for you, but I'm going to let you go. What this is doing here and what this shows and what I want us to see right now today is just when he lifts his restraining hand, it shows us just how sinful we are, how sinful we can be, you know, the, how capable we are of committing the most heinous things that you never think that you thought that you would commit, you end up doing when he lets, lifts those restraints. It also shows just the ways which we demonstrate our disdain for God, doesn't it? And the things we're looking at today and next week as well. Our disobedience towards Him. We don't really want anything to do with Him. Our our defiance of God. Okay, here's what you say, God, but here's what I'm going to do anyway. I'm just going to defy you. And our disregard for Him. No respect at all for God who made us and created us. And we find ourselves in that time, don't we? The, the sins that we see here in Romans, they're explicit and implicit. They're by commission and then omission. Sins of commission, the things that are going on, the things that the people are doing in defying God. Commission means actively, that you actively, willfully, deliberately 
transgressed the law of God. They knew that it was wrong, but they did it anyway. Knowing God, it didn't bother them. They were still going to do what felt right to them. And that's just like in that time of, I'm just going to do what seems right in my own eyes, what feels good, what feels natural to me, that's what I'm going to do. That sense of commission. You're just transgressing. You're just rebelling. You're just breaking God's law. But then there's a sense of omission as well. And I think we see that in our day. Those are sins that are more passive. Not doing what you ought to do when it's in your power to do so. Right? We have a lot of moral people in, in our, today, in our world, or would at least consider themselves to be moral people, that might not agree with some of the things we're, we're, we're looking at this morning. Like even being given over to the sin of homosexuality. They might not agree, and they may know that it's wrong. But that sin of omission comes in when those moral people, those good people are pressed. By the opposition, which is happening today, we are being pressed, aren't we? Very much to, to say, why is it wrong? What's so wrong with it? You tell me why it's wrong for me to feel this way. You tell me why it's wrong for me to do the things that I'm doing. Who are you? You don't know me. This is who I am. So who are you to shove your religion and your morality down my throat? A moral person where there's just moralism can only go so far. Can only say, they cannot say definitively. They can't tell you why it's wrong. For a long time, we just took it for granted. Well, that's wrong. That's immoral behavior. But then when people start asking, why is it wrong? Why is it immoral behavior? This is love. This is my expression of love. This is who I am. Who are you to say that I can't do this? Apart from God, ultimately, you really can't. You can say, well, it's wrong because it's just wrong. It doesn't seem to be right. They don't have the absolute moral standard. So eventually, it's going to lead them to accept, capitulate, whether it's a tacit kind of acceptance or an all-out acceptance of that kind of sin. You see it every day amongst you. How many people that you know that say, well, that kind of sin that or that kind of behavior is wrong. It's immoral. But when they're pressed, they say, but you know what? I don't personally agree with it. But if they, that's who they are, well then, who am I to say? That's moralism, right? They're not gonna say, who am I to say? Or are they say, hey, as long as they're really happy, they're in love, they're not hurting anybody, that's not, that behavior's, who am I? That's moralism, because you're gonna come to that place where you don't have that solid, absolute standard of God to say, this is why it's wrong in the sight of God to do this, right? So we live in a day, and people just come all, all the way around to full acceptance at times, don't they? Well, at one time I disagreed with it, but I see how people live, and there's true love there, and they're just amazing people, so I'm fully embracing it. That is moralism. That's a sign of God's restraint being lifted when we start to accept, as a society, the things that are unacceptable to the Lord. This is how you know that the glory has departed, man, that the restraints are off, that, that this is the judgment of abandonment. God, sometimes God judges and he brains down that punishment. Other times he just lets you go to do what you want to fill up your, that, that cup of wrath, as it were. So this is more that uh, sin of abandonment. Verse 24 tells us what it looks like. It's, it says this. Therefore, because they denied God, they worshiped and served creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. That idea right there, um, this is more talking about a heterosexual kind of immorality and, and sin in that way. We talked about that last week, so I'm not going to 
dwell on that. But the idea is, is just that gross, very, what I mean by gross is very obvious, very blatant in morality on a large scale, where sexual sin is widely accepted by the society in general, whether it's tacit or very, um, open, in, in other words. Look at the key words and key phrases. This is what it looks like. He says, he gave them over to the lusts of their hearts. To the lusts of their hearts. Not to God's heart. Not to see what God would have them do. But your own heart. You want it? Okay, you can go your own way. Like the Fleetwood Mac song says. You could, you could do it your way. The lust of your hearts. Epithomea is the Greek word. And that means just a deep, deep longing, almost uncontrollable desire to have something sexually, especially if it's forbidden to you. It's, it's, it's not motivated by love. It's not, oh, I love this person. It's motivated by personal satisfaction. That's what that lust is. That's what that word means behind it. It's a drive. It's a desire. It's an urge. It's, it's unbridled sensuality. That's what that lust is. God's giving you over to that. Not decorum, not respect, not restraint in any way, but that lust is given over to that. Then he goes on to say, um, for this reason, gave them up to passions for their, oh, I'm sorry, verse 24, the, the lust of their heart to the impurity, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their, of their bodies. So, so the impurity, that's the idea behind that word is unclean, dirty, vile, disgusting. You know, when I, when I, when I read that word of, when I see that, um, the impurity, I always think about when I was a kid, when my uncle would take us to Highland Park, to the reservoir. I don't know why my mind goes here with this, but, but to think of that untreated water, because some of it sometimes it would be untreated, the, the raw water before they treat it and make it clean, that's that impurity. It's just raw, dirty water. It's there, right? We used to see that. And then it would go over, and then you would see the, the, the pure water after it's clean. But that's the idea behind it. It's, 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 not, it's not clean. It's dirty. It's vile. It's disgusting. And you know, when God takes his hands as a strain off, here's what happens. The, th- the, the things that you thought were unthinkable to do at one time aren't so much unthinkable anymore, right? We can't do that. Well, maybe we can do that. See, that, that's when you know that, that God's hand is restrained, that they're given over to, to that impurity, dishonoring their bodies. The body was not meant for that. That's not God's intent. There's an honorable use and there's a dishonorable use. You're still, you are accountable to God. And again, when I think about the honorable and dishonorable, you think about the service. Now, there's many ways when, when uh, somebody leaves one of the branches of the military, they are discharged. And there's different discharges, but a couple of them are honorable and dishonorable. You want an honorable discharge, don't you, after serving in the military? What's that? That that means that you've met or exceeded the required standards of duty. That you are a good soldier. That that you that your performance was honorable. Your personal conduct was impeccable. You completed your tour of duty. You were brave. You were honorable. So you have an honor. I served and I was honorably discharged. You served with honor. But but the word here to dishonor is just the opposite. See, they dishonored their bodies. God gives them over to that. A dishonorable discharge. You don't want that coming out of the military, do you? There's different reasons for that. But it means to be dishonorably discharged means that you've committed a serious offense. Whether it's reprehensible conduct 
whether it's desertion, how bad is that? Sexual assault and even murder. You're dishonorably discharged from the service. These things were characteristics of the pagan nation. This is, this is where Paul found himself. And even as he's writing to the Romans, saying this is, this is, this is par for the course. This is where you guys are right now. It's not where you want to be. Even in Acts 14.26, we're told that at one time in past generations, he allowed the nations to walk in their own ways. This is that. Allowing the you could You're going, you're following your heart. He still had common grace, still a measure of restraint, but nevertheless, he was allowing them to go in their own ways. That's why Israel was to stand in stark contrast to the nations. They were to be different. They were to be different than the world around them. The, the, the pagans were to look at them and say, they are different. Their God is mighty. Their God is holy. Their God is just. Now, often they failed in that, but that's what they, one of the things they were meant to do. In Greek culture, you know, in Greek culture, immorality was built into the culture itself. There was hardly they didn't have any prohibitions or very few prohibitions on what could and couldn't be done sexually wise in, in, in that way, sexual immorality in that way. In that, they're just almost, there were husbands and wives, but you could have more than that in any basically thing that you want. And it was just kind of built into the culture. It was accepted by, that was a pagan nation. That's what made them pagan. Same with the Romans. You know, you, we talked about a little bit last week all the idols that they had and they served, the fertility gods and so forth. Same with the Roman culture. That's what it was like. That's just anything goes in that way. You've just followed your heart. And so, and that was an acknowledgement that they weren't, that was a sign that they weren't following God, looking to God and his judgment on them. They were given over to sexual sin. Today, in the U.S., we do have a Judeo-Christian worldview and ethic and ethos, or we did at one time, but we're, that has been under attack all along, but especially since the late 60s in our country, in our context. So if you compare and look at it, we're, are we much different than those pagan cultures? And this is the, those are the cultures where God allowed them to go, to give them over, to go their own way in that way. It's not so much, it comes on, he goes on to say this, that because they exchanged the truth about God, verse 25, for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. Now I want you to know something and I want you to understand something. This particular passage here is not focusing so much on the sin of practicing homosexuality in a, in a way of condemning it. Now, it is certainly condemned. It is certainly sin. Understand that. What Paul is saying here is when that sin is allowed to proliferate in society, where there's a proliferation, that's an indication an indictment of judgment, when he gave them over to that, right? That's a sign of God's judgment of abandonment. So, number one, understand and be very, very clear about this. The Bible's clear, no question, that homosexuality, practicing homosexuality is a sin, like any other sexual sin. 
But this kind of sin not only violates God's purpose, it absolutely does for sexual relations, but also his design by nature, the physiology, the biology, the obvious is, is right there. Now, there are very many clever people today, um, even call themselves theologians, who are making desperate attempts and desperate arguments to kind of justify this. They fall very short of what Scripture teaches, and Scripture's plain on that. So Genesis 1, 26-28, God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. He made them to have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. A creation mandate, male and female. The beauty of the binary. That book is coming out soon. I'm going to recommend that to you. Uh, so we have that. Leviticus 18.22 tells us very plainly, and this is in the list of sins that are an abomination before the Lord. This isn't just one that's just specifically pointed out. There are a plethora of sexual sins. But he does say, you shall not lie with a male as a as with a woman. It is an abomination before the Lord. First Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor those idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkard, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. What I want you to understand this morning, what I want you to see, because of the context in which we live in and where we find ourselves, there's always been sexual sin. You want to help Pastor Joe preach, huh? There's always been homosexuality in in society. It's nothing new since the fall. But when you see it, when there's a proliferation, and I'm going to keep saying that word because this is where we find ourselves, where you see wide acceptance, where it's not only tolerated, but it's celebrated, where it's normalized, that's a huge indication of how far away that we've drifted from God, just like the pagan nations that Paul was preaching to. Do you understand that? That's the big difference. That's the big deal. That's what I want you to see this morning, especially. Oh, not just that homosexuality is a sin. Okay, it's a sin. But here's God's hand of judgment. When you see things like that, that immorality just permeate the entire society. That's where we have it. That's, that is the, the, the descending into sinfulness and an indication that God has has given you over. That means that you, we are under the judgment of God. That judgment of abandonment. That's where we find ourselves. Um, I was going to have a video at this point. I'm not. It's just too much. But I do commend. Just go 2022 Pride. Pride Parade. And you'll see it. Just don't watch it for too long, but you just see what's happening and just that giving over of that sin and that wide acceptance of that sin. Just think about it. What we have before us, the priority, the promotion, it's everywhere in our society. I don't want to say proliferation again, but I just did <laughs> throughout our society. Now I'm going to expand on this, not only to say men with men, women with women, but also transgender. We'll just put that in there as well. 
The restraint, has the restraint been lifted from us? And I want you to understand, Paul was preaching to this culture initially, saying this is what you got, this is what you are like, and this is why you need the Lord. But let's think about our own context right now in which we find ourselves. Has God lifted his hand of restraint? Has, has he given us over? And not, I don't want you to, just this week, yes, we'll talk about the immorality. Next week we're going to talk about specific sins, the attitude of the heart, and even towards God. It's just going to clinch it. And I want us to see the times that we are living in and how God may use us to do something about that. That's what's important for us. That's what's important for you. I don't want to just give you the information, but I do want to confirm that this is where we find ourselves. Let's just think about it. Think about the pagan nations. Wow, they were really bad back then. They had those temples and they worshipped and they had, you know, men and men, women with women, different kinds, men and boys, everything you can imagine. We're not like that, are we? Are we? Let's think about it. Legalization of same-sex marriage. That marriage that God created, man and woman, that has been legalized to include man and man, woman and woman. The deep, the deep impact at every level of society that the LBGTQ movement has had and continues to have upon us. Think about it. In our government, in our legislation. You could think of the examples. In our education system, from preschool to graduate school, it is permeated. It is, it, our kids are being indoctrinated in this worldview, in this teaching. Business and corporate world. Policies include, all all the different policies include something that's LBGTQ friendly or acknowledging or so on and so forth. Advantageous in that way. Sports and entertainment. Retail to restaurants. Products, promotions, sections, entire sections and stores dedicated to LBGTQ. Are we living in that day and age? We have one day, Memorial Day, that's dedicated to those men and women who served our country faithfully and gave their lives for our country, how long do we have for gay pride? A month. And it goes on. Parents bringing their children to pride parades. I was going to show you a video of a mostly naked man teaching a young boy how to do a pole dance and the parents clapping and cheering them on. Just wasn't a good taste. Transvestites reading stories to our kids at public libraries, let alone doing bingo games and fire halls and so forth. We have a totally confused generation of kids regarding sexual orientation and ethics. It's just a confused generation on what it means to be a boy, what it means to be a girl in the right relationships there. We're pumping our kids with hormone blockers and testosterone injections. Young kids. Not only is this happening, not, it's not the fact that it's happening that's bad enough, but that it's being accepted, that it's being embraced, that it's being celebrated as a good thing. God has removed the restraint. God has given them over to that. We are, we are seeing it. We are living. How can anyone say that we're not under God's judgment of abandonment 
Oh, it's not so bad. You know, I still go to the store. Not everybody's doing that. You know what? I'm sure they were saying the same things in the days of Noah because they were marrying and giving in marriage. And yet the Lord brought the flood upon them. Acceptance. That's a big deal. He gave them over. It's not just that it was happening. It always happens. But now it's being embraced. Many of us in our own lifetime could see that transition. If you're a little bit younger, maybe not so much. But if you're a little bit older, you know. You see that transition, how it's happened, that transformation. How we've gone from a a moral, basically, society, godly society, basically, law and order society, to where we are today. Acceptance is one thing, but that's not all. It's those opposed, those who stand in good conscience, are vilified, ostracized, and neutralized or canceled. There is tremendous pressure. There's tremendous pressure to conform. And I mean tremendous in every area. So if you're in business, you could lose your job or there's a threat of losing your job or being ostracized if you don't accept it. Even what we're doing here this morning, there's tremendous pressure to conform, to capitulate, to comply, to inform, affirm, to embrace. And they do it with evangelistic zeal. That you must do this. It's almost like uh, some of the radical Muslims where they come with the sword. Okay, believe or else, right? There's going to be consequences if you don't. And now there are no shortage of examples. It's not just the one baker that refused to bake a cake for the homosexual wedding. It's not the, it's, there's a plethora of examples. We see it time and time again. One Example, uh, during Gay Pride Month, baseball teams were required to wear the, the pride patch. And there were several baseball players who said, no, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. Now, they did have the backing of the organization, but they got a lot of heat for, do, for not doing that. And the only reason they did not do that was because they were Christians. They're, they were the five Christians on the Tampa Bay team. I'll do, I will want to read uh, just a little bit of this. It's, they made a statement. It's not as strong as maybe we would like but again, remember the pressure. Remember what's going on. The, the pressure to conform, to accept. So speaking to this, the uh, spokesman says this for the baseball players, for, for the players. A lot of it comes down to faith. To like a faith-based decision. Adam speaking for the group told the Tampa Bay Times. So it's a hard decision because ultimately we all said that we want them to know that we are that we welcome, that all are welcomed and loved here. But when we put it on our bodies, I think a lot of the guys decided that it's just a lifestyle that maybe, not that they look down on anybody or think differently, it's just maybe we don't want to encourage it if we believe in Jesus, who encourages us to live a lifestyle that would abstain from that behavior. So that's the statement from the the Christians. And it was the Christians who stand up, because there's a lot of moralism. There's probably a lot of players who say, you know what, I don't really agree with that, but hey, you know what, if that's that's what they do, who might have stand in the way? At least these guys were taking a stand and saying, no, I can't go that far, and yet this is where we find ourselves in the pressure to do just that. So we're given over. And listen, not simply because it's practiced, but very few see anything wrong with it. Instead, there's something wrong with you if you oppose it. That's where we find ourselves right now. That's where Paul found himself then. This is nothing new, nothing new under the sun. It's new for us to be sure, but it's nothing new. So let's look at this. More, I think we're more pagan than Christian. 
as a nation, especially when you factor in, it's, as we talk about things next week, but even as you think about the, the, the church today, right? What, what's the church doing? So many, so much and so many people in the church are actually sympathetic towards this as well. You know, you have, um, shallow evangelicalism that said, hey, it's okay. Everybody's welcome here. We're not going to challenge you. We have liberal and progressive Christianity, health and wealth. So even when you say about the Christian church being about, there's still just a remnant, it seems, that is holding the line biblically. So look what he says. He says this, that he's given them up to dishonorable practices. This is what you're going to see. When the Lord gives us over, to be mean, to mean what it means to be given up to, dishonorable. What once was dishonorable is going to seem noble, brave. And that's what we have today. So you're not the noble or brave one standing on the truth. It's noble and brave to be who you are. This is who I truly am and I'm coming out. You know, I'm not conforming to the world's moral bigotry. This is who I am and it's almost seen as heroic. So that's, that's the idea that they've given up to dishonorable practices. The things that were honorable and, and showing restraint and being godly in that way. That doesn't, no, 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 no. Here's what's honorable to come out and say, that this is who I am. Isn't that brave? They've exchanged. And so when God lifts his hand of restraint, when he says they've exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, that exchange is active. It's willing. It's a willing act. It's a a conscious decision, especially in our day. And here's what I want you to get and understand. Forget about those who are born with a proclivity towards homosexuality. We don't even, obviously, they justly, that's sin and and needs to be dealt with. But where we're living at, where we find ourselves today, is that so many people are just simply experimenting, right? And there's no restraint. So, so people who are married say, you know, I'm going to leave my spouse and I'm going to live this alternative lifestyle. I'm going to do what, what I want to do. I'm going to do what feels good. So even if you wouldn't do it where there is restraint in society, where there's, where there, where there's that morality there, you, you know, you might think about it in a moment from your mind, but you're not going to go through with it. Well, now we're going through with it. You see, that's the idea that's here. They're given over to it. They're given up to it. So people that wouldn't normally do a certain thing like that, now they're going to try and they're going to experiment. They're going to accept it. They're going to say it's okay to do. That's exactly where we find ourselves today. There's no, there's no boundaries, no barriers, certainly no commands, no standard from God. The shackles are off right now. And this is, this is the idea when he says he gave them up to that. It affects people. That's why we have laws. That's why there's laws to to deter, to say, you know, there's consequences behind that. When you say, no, 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 I'm just going to do what I want. When that when that shack when that when that restraint is removed, then we do what seems right in our own eyes. He gave them over to unnatural. When you're given over, the unnatural seems perfectly fine, right? It's not unnatural anymore. This is not. This is who I am. When he says it's unnatural, that's contrary to nature. In other words, it's contrary to God's intent. It's contrary to God's design. It's contrary to keeping the things of basic order. And it's plain to see. And everywhere, even in nature, we see it. This is how God made us. This is how we're made specifically. This is the physiology. This is the biology. That's natural. That shows God's intent and God's design. 
So it's not intended to work a certain way. But you know what? That doesn't matter because we're driven by feeling, driven by emotion, driven by desire. This is who I am. Never thinking that it may be misplaced feeling, misplaced emotion, misplaced desire. Never thinking that you're not in keeping with God's design and God's plan and God's law. You're never thinking that, hey, I may be in rebellion for doing this. It doesn't occur to them. So there's really a, a denial of, of, in some ways, just a denial of reality, a, a self-deception that goes on. And we, and we promote that and we push that. There's certain things you can't believe. There's certain things you can't say. There's certain things you can't... Uh, let's take monkeypox. Could we say monkeypox? Is that... Right? Do you know... And this is the New England Journal of Medicine. 95% of the cases are among men who have sexual relations with other men. Now, do you hear that? Do you know that? Is that out there? See, that's that's forbidden. That You can't, we're not going to talk about that. We can't go there because we have to deceive ourselves because we can't tell the truth about certain behavior leading to certain consequences. We're not going to do that. We're not going to go there. That's the self-deception. That's the denial of reality. It's there. Because I want what I want. I want what I feel. Not what God has designed and planned. This is my rebellion against Him. And now it's not just kind of over here in the corner. It's widespread. That's being given over. That's what's going on. That's what Paul was preaching in that, to that group that he's preaching to. This is what they were used to. That was part, just like people now are used to the lifestyles here. We're seeing it more and more. Right? It's seen very much the self-deception. Especially the, the denial of reality and self-deception, especially when it comes to the transgender, just a basic denial of basic biology. It's, it's, you just see it. But we have to say no because this is how I feel and this is what I want. Forget about God's design. Forget about God's commands. We're in rebellion against him. That's a sign that God has taken his restraints off that he's given us over. He gives them up to shameless acts, he says. Men consumed with passion for one another, committing shameless acts with men, receiving the penalty in full. He gives them up. And that means to be given up to shameless acts. Do you see the pattern now? Now they're not shameless anymore. See, this is what happens. When he gives them up, when he gives them over, the things that were considered wrong and bad are now made righteous and good. Right? So who's to be ashamed of anything? Do you understand? That shows that the depth of the rebellion that we have again, by commission and by omission, whether we implicitly accept it or you know, explicitly participate, right? This is what it is, man. He's say they, they, he gave them up to, to the shameless acts. At one time, people felt shame. <laughs> we don't feel much shame in any regard these days, in any area for the most part. People are almost proud of everything that they do, all, even the wicked acts that they partake in. But at one time, there was shame. And rightly so, because you were going against God's command. You were going against God's designs. So you should feel shame. You're going against what your creator says. That ought to be there. When you do something wrong, when you do something bad, you should feel shame. And sorry that you did that. Not anymore, man. When you exchange that, when you give it over to that, now the shame is gone. Those shameful things become good things. And then you should be ashamed of doing what's right. How dare you say that I can't live this way? Who are you to tell me that this is wrong? You don't know what it's like to be in my place in this position. How judgmental you are. How wrong you are. You should be ashamed for your accusations towards me. Instead of saying, 
I'm ashamed for the way I've transgressed God's law in the way that I've acted. There's no shame. No, that's gone. It's been replaced by pride. That's where we at. This is so apt. See why God's word is transcendent. It's always relevant. Remember, Paul was addressing those who were brought up in that kind of culture. That was the culture. That was normal for them. And he's saying, no, there's another way. You stop that because you're accountable to God. Whether you recognize it or not, whether you realize it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not. And that's why Paul was bringing the gospel there. I'm going to tell you right now, and I don't say this lightly, but I believe that we find ourselves, maybe the, for the first time in the history of this nation, I'm not saying this is something new, obviously this was going on during Paul's day and so forth, but in the history of our nation, we're in much the same place that Paul and others found themselves, where the people were simply given over to their sin. It was That was a normal thing. You may or may not agree with me, but more and more it seems like that. Like we're kind of in that area now. We had been in a, in a nation that, that respected God's laws. There was a basic morality. We did have those things in place. That's gone, isn't it? It's just gone. So, so I, and, and I know our nation, we've had, we can look at our history and so forth, but not like this. Not where there's a wide open acceptance of all the sexual immorality. And again, you'll see next week just the general sin that's being accepted on, on, on behalf of the society that God's hand has been lifted. We've been given over to sin. We don't have to just read about it here. We're in it. We're part of it. And that's frightening on the one hand, but it's also exciting on the other because we have an opportunity, don't we? So what do we do? How do we respond? How do we respond? Do we respond with anger and hatred and an unloving spirit? Oh, those dirty people, I don't care they do that. Ah, you, you should be, you know. No, some moralist may react in that way. Do we, do we react in a loving spirit? Do we react with fear, resignation? Oh, well, that's just the way it is. Do we compromise and say, you know what? Everybody else is doing it. I'm not going to put my job on the line for this. How do we react? Just like Paul did. Just like Peter did. Just like others who were preaching in this context, in, in those areas where paganism dominated, where the lifestyle that we're, that's surrounding us today was all around them. What did they do? They confronted the culture. And here's what I want you to listen to. They confronted the culture boldly, confidently, convincingly, without compromise, and calling people to account that you are sinning against your God who has made you. And this is an indication of that. And you need to turn from that. We preach the gospel in that way. We could back off. We could stay in our little huddles. We could pretend that it's not happening. We could be okay with it. Or we could do what we're called to do and preach it and teach it and bring it forth with boldness and speak truth into the lies that are before us. Bring light into the darkness that we're in right now through the gospel and through his word. And you need to understand something when you do this. And if you choose to do this, it will cost you. 
We're at a time now, or at least we're entering at a time, where to be a Christian just isn't all fun and games anymore. You can kind of do what you want and live your life. and have. We're coming to a time, if it continues in the way that it's going, to be faithful is going to cost you. Maybe more than you're ready to give up. Maybe more than you know. It might cost you your job. It might mean that you may have to move. It may mean that you come under penalty from the civil authorities. I don't know. Maybe a year from now, preaching a sermon like this might get me in trouble. Might get us in trouble today. I don't know. But we have a decision to make. What are we going to do? And if we don't, who will? I like those baseball players because in the face of all that pressure, said because we're Christians, we say no. We're not going to affirm. We're not going to go that far. But here's what you need. You need Jesus Christ. You need the gospel. So we speak the truth knowing that it may cost us. But speak the truth we must because much more than the culture is at stake, much more than our comfort is at stake, Eternity is at stake for those that are embroiled in these sins, for those who are under that judgment of God. They need us to bring the gospel to them. They need us to be bold for them. They need us to love them even though they hate us. They need us to preach it even though they don't want to hear it. They need us to to love them even though they can't stand us and want to get rid of us. But we must do that in a, in a way that doesn't compromise the truth of the gospel, but calls them to faith. We must do it in a way that doesn't give um, acceptance or affirmation, but yet understanding that we do care for the greatest need, and that is for Jesus Christ, and that is for the hope that's in him. That's what Paul was doing. That's what Paul did. Paul found himself in very similar circumstances. So we could lament it. We could bring up all the examples. We could say, what's happening here? What's going on? Oh, my goodness. But when we're done doing that, what are we going to do about it? We have the answer. We have the hope. We must bring it forth.